Hey, would you help me welcome everybody tuning in online really quick. I wanna say a special hello to you, wherever you're tuning in from. We're so glad that you're here, and man, this, is, this feels good. This feels good. Tell the person beside you, say, you are kicking the year off right. <laughs> that was a little sleepy. All right, let's try this. Turn to the person beside you and tell them, say, I think this is gonna be your year. I know, I know we said that last year, but this year is going to be your year. And I just feel like an excitement in this 11 o'clock experience. And uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, whether online or in the room, my name is Russ. I'm not the lead pastor, but I'm on the team here, and I'm so excited to be with you today. It is a brand new year. And uh, just quick New Year's Eve poll. How many, first off, how many actually stayed up to watch the ball drop? Man, that's, okay. How many champions in the room were in the sack before 10 o'clock? Wow, wow, I, is that exciting or sad? I don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> how many uh, kissed someone, I mean, I, calm down. How many, let's say this, um, how many don't wanna think about what happened in the state of Ohio uh, before, and then, I, and then I reminded you, so I'm so sorry about that. What about this, how many, is, how many people are actually New Year's resolution kind of people in the room. Man, a, a solid 11. So we're, we're, we're an ambitious group of people. Um, I read an article this morning that was from a guy named Michael Hyatt. He's this author, leadership guru guy who's kind of pushing it back against the resistance of resolutions and encouraging people to make them. And he actually said, if you are a New Year's goal person, he said, if you write down your goal, the statistics are 42% more likely that you'll achieve your goal. So for the 11 of you that are, you know, just like jacked up about the new year, make sure you write them down. <laughs> and I think probably a lot of it has to do with personality, how you approach the new year. Um, I'll just admit right off the bat, I'm a very type A driven person who gets really, I'm kind of a weird mixture of I get really ambitious, really excited, dream really big, but I'm also like really nostalgic and really sentimental. Like, like my friends make fun of me because last, year, last night I did what I've done the last 15 years, which is I have this tradition of I listen to Long December by Counting Crows. And it's been a long December and there's reason to believe maybe this year will be better than the last. No one, okay, we'll just move on. Um, yeah, I, I make highlight lists, you know, the, the whole nine yards. And I think everybody has different approaches uh, for the new year. And I just think, I don't know, Look, you ever heard somebody say, you do not need a new year to start a new habit? You ever heard that or maybe you said that? And I, I think there's so much truth in that, but I, I gotta be honest, I think everybody, no matter your personality or whether you're a goals or resolution person, I think most of us, there is a sense when a new year begins of a little bit of anticipation, right? A little bit of excitement and you don't need a, a new year to begin a new habit or to start a bad habit or to stop a bad habit, but I do think there's something that, there's something natural about seasons and the turning of a calendar and the feeling of a, a blank slate, a brand new year, that for me at least, I'm just like, I want to dream about what this year could become. And so it's just a simple question this morning, is what's your approach to the new year? And maybe you're still like, I, literally, it's just another day, I really don't care. But it's worth thinking at least, what's your approach to the new year? I've tried a lot of different things. One thing that I, I thought was working really well a few years ago is I decided, you know what, I set, anybody like me that you do set goals, you set too many goals? 
right? And so the other year I was like, I'm just gonna simplify, I'm gonna leverage the power of focus, and each month is gonna have a focus. So I literally went through the calendar and I was like, January, seek God. I, I wanna dummy proof it for me so that I'm not distracted by everything else. January, not that I don't wanna do that the whole year, but January, if I don't do anything else, I want to seek God. We always do prayer and fasting, I wanna seek God. And can I tell you, it went really, really well. And I thought, man, this is a great jump to the year. So then February came, and I had written Fit February, because we had done that as a staff. I was like, I wanna get in shape for February. Someone invited me in Lancaster to be a part of a CrossFit competition where we got up at an ungodly hour of 5 a.m. every single morning for 21 days. Some of you do that on purpose, milk the cows or whatever, but uh, 21 days, got up at 5 a.m., went to CrossFit, and this, I don't do this often, a little bit of humble brag, I don't know how this happened, but I actually won the CrossFit competition. Man, I, I wasn't expecting that, but can you do it again? I am, so. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Let's record that. I'm gonna play that tonight as I'm falling asleep. I am. Um, and so I'm like, man, this is gonna be the greatest year ever. I like started the year strong spiritually, and then I won CrossFit. And the, the, the prize I got for winning CrossFit was a free year membership, which if you're not familiar with like CrossFit prices, that's about $139,547,000. So I'm like, this is gonna be amazing. So I'm like, I started the year all strong spiritually, I won this CrossFit competition, I got a little bit in shape, and then three weeks later, COVID hit, and the whole freaking year was a wash. <laughs> and I just share that because I, I bet most of you in the room have had the experience of at least maybe, maybe if you don't set goals, maybe you've at least had a hope or a prayer or an expectation of what a year would hold, and then it didn't happen. Or you've hoped maybe this year will be, like Counting Crow says, different than the last, because last year maybe for some of us in the room wasn't, it wasn't the greatest. Or maybe you're just like, last year was great, but man, I really have hopes and dreams for this year, and so here's what I'm learning. Can I just tell you, the older I get, and this may sound kind of cliche, is that the reality is, goals aside, dreams aside, number one, I can't control what happens externally. How many knows, unfortunately, there could be things that happen out of our control this year? But here's what I'm learning the older I get. Crazy disasters aside, what matters most about making 2023 a quality year is not what 2023 brings to me, but what I bring to 2023. What's 23, what 2023 is gonna become in large part is gonna be impacted by what I become, who I choose to be. I had a mentor one time, he said this, he said, everything else aside, and this may sound very simplistic, he said, this coming year could be the best year of your life if it's the most spiritual year of your life. If you choose to become someone, and the truth, though, is even that kind of creates attention to me. <laughs> because anybody, um, I don't know, anybody ever keep not becoming what you tell yourself you're going to become? You ever keep wrestling with the thing that you tell yourself you're never gonna wrestle with again? Hello. Anybody in the room ever said, I'm not gonna do that again? Or this is the year this stops? Or this is the year this ends? Or this is the year I get past that and you do really well? Hey, maybe it's fitness, maybe it's finances. Maybe this is the year I'm gonna get my financial house in order until you don't. Or maybe it's the year, hey, how about this? I'm really gonna get in shape, but then the F word happens. You know the F word, right? The F word in, in fitness resolutions, February. It's, it's the sad month where the fitness dreams go to die and all the gym heads get really excited because they're like, finally, I have a bench again. <laughs> and so what do you do 
Like, I, I don't know. So, but here's the thing. I'm a hopeless optimist at heart, but I'm also a realist. And here's what I know. No matter, I, I could do this really big, grand speech today. This is going to be the year that changes everything. But what I know is this. By the time we end 2023, we're still going to have issues. And you and I, unfortunately, are still going to have disappointments. There's still going to be things that go wrong. There's still going to be things that I think back and think, man, I wish I was further along in this. But here's what I do believe. As a follower of Jesus, as someone I have to believe this, is that by the power of God's grace and the power of his Holy Spirit, I may enter 2023 and still have issues, but I can leave 2023 without those same issues having me. And I can posture myself to walk into the future with intentionality. And I can decide by God's grace that I don't know what the year is going to bring, but I'm going to lean into Jesus. And this could be the most peaceful year of my life, the most joyful year of my life, the most courageous year of my life, the most fruitful year of my life, the year that I get closer to Jesus than ever before. Nothing can stop me from doing that. This could be the year where I become more like Jesus than ever before. This could be, in many ways, external circumstances had the greatest year of my life. And so the question, though, today is how do we keep wrestling towards that year when the other years I said the same thing? <laughs> and to help us, I want to look at the story of a guy named Jacob from Scripture. And because uh, Jacob, I just got to be straight up, he is, if you're new to faith, he's kind of a, he's considered a hero of the faith. In fact, his whole family, if you read the Old Testament, you'll see this line a lot. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you ever heard that? Those are heroes of the faith. They're fathers of the faith. It's kind of this famous family, but can I tell you something crazy about this family that is actually really encouraging to me? They were people of great faith who took great risk and trusted God, but they were also people that were really messed up. The whole family line has a pattern of lying. You can read through this later. The whole family line has a pattern of trusting God in some moments, then not trusting him in really big mistakes in other moments. Here's what I wrote down. I'm just rambling. Is this okay? Here's what I wrote down that encouraged me is that um, I wrote this in my journal. This Jacob and Isaac and Abraham as individuals and as a family seem to be equally marked by destiny and dysfunction. You ever felt that? Hello? You ever felt like, man, I, I sense what God is calling me to do and to become and what he's wanted to teach me and do in me, but I'm also like keenly aware of my habits and hurts and hangups and mess ups and the things I'm still wrestling with? I could say it this way, sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm really aware of my calling, but also really aware of my crap. You ever, hello? And that's Jacob, and he gets the dysfunction honest, and we're gonna start really at his birth, because here's the crazy thing. Jacob's so messed up, his messed upness begins in the womb. So Genesis 25, you can turn there, or we got the Sky Bible. It says this. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. But the babies jostled each other within her. In other words, underline jostled. They wrestled. Even in the womb, there was already strife. Even in the, even in the womb, there was already discord um, with Jacob and his siblings. And so, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And if we can, I'm gonna skip down to verse 24. It says, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. Can I just be really straight up? That's disgusting. That's, that's just, that's not right. That sounds like a, I'm telling you, that's, that's like a description of a terrifying creature from Star Wars. So, so they, <laughs> So they aimed to me, Saul. 
After this, his brother came out with his hand, grasping Esau's heel. This is Jacob. So he was named Jacob. Here's what's crazy. So literally, in the first few minutes of Jacob's life, he has dysfunction in the womb where he's wrestling with his brother. Then as he's coming out of the womb, he grabs his brother's heel, and his mom, this is not a nice thing to do, literally labels him by life for that moment because the name Jacob means supplanter, usurper, or deceiver. He's trying to get one up on his brother even as he's coming out of the womb. And I gotta tell you, things go south from here. So one day, Jacob and Esau, by the way, even though they're twins, they're totally different. So Esau loved to hunt. He was hairy. He was a man's man. Uh, Jacob was a mama's boy who loved to write poetry and pick flowers. All you need to know is Esau watched Yellowstone and Jacob watched Home and Garden. That's all you need to know. That's the difference. And so uh, they're growing up, and one day Esau is in the tree stand uh, bow hunting for about three or four days, coming up empty. So he comes home, he's starving, he's hungry, he's frustrated, he literally is physically starving. And when he walks in, there's this smell, and it's old mama's boy, Jacob, cooking up a little lentil fried artichoke soup. And Esau, who is literally starving to death, says, hey, Jacob, please, would you just give me some of that soup? And Jacob, check this out, goes, all right, I will if you give me your birthright. Now, that may not sound like a big deal, but in those days, a birthright was everything. It meant, it would always go to the older brother, and it meant influence. It meant eventually you'd have say in the things that happened in the family. It meant double the inheritance. It was wealth. It literally was his future. But Esau was so hungry and overwhelmed by his hunger that he said, fine, give me the bowl of soup. You can have my birthright. A lot of lessons there about the things that you do in bad seasons of your life to make sure you don't forfeit your future. But let's just focus on Jacob for a minute. How low do you go to do that to your brother and steal his future? This past weekend, I was in Greenville, South Carolina with uh, my parents for Christmas. And um, my mom and I were catching up about her late mom, my late grandmother, Mima. Soon past is gonna be a peepaw, is that right? No, that's not right. Okay. Um, okay. So we're talking about Mima. One of the traditions I had in early childhood, it was me and my mom and my Mima would go to a place that if you've never been to the South, you don't know anything about Bojangles biscuits. Oh, okay. Some of you have been to heaven and back. You need to write a book about it. But we would, we would go to Bojangles, get biscuits every Saturday. And then one particular Saturday, though, we had our Bojangles biscuits, and we're getting ready to leave but no one can find the keys. And believe it or not, this is before cell phones, and that's crazy, before air tags. So we're like, what are we gonna do? No one has the keys. And so we're looking under tables, we're looking under chairs, trying to find the keys, we can't find them. The poor Bojangles workers eventually start digging through the trash, they're trying to find the keys, they can't find the keys, an hour passes by. Eventually, I mean this, I, I, I still get scars thinking about this, eventually uh, the Bojangles workers are diving into the garbage dumpsters looking for these keys for us. Two hours have passed by, and we have no idea how we're gonna get home. And the way my mom tells it is, two hours into this, she turned to me, and she describes what is called, she, she eventually called a rust look of mischief. And she said, I slowly said, is this what you're looking for? Now. Listen, it, 
I don't have an excuse. I was five. Look. But if you get my mom alone, she'll actually tell you the sweetest stories. All the other stories about how sweet Russ was. And, and all, but I had a little bit of a mischief streak. And my point is, is, as much as you are thinking, you horrible, what are you even doing up there preaching? As much as you're thinking that, I want us to catch the, the gravity of how jacked up Jacob was that he literally didn't just steal keys for a couple hours, but stole his brother's future. Not long after this, it's a long story, but he ended up not just stealing his birthright, but stealing his blessing. And that day's, again, different. A blessing, a father's blessing, was like this prophecy that made sure the rest of your future was amazing. It was a blessing, a prophecy of, of success and protection and wealth and all these amazing things. And one day, uh, as Isaac was dying and his blindside was bad, he told Esau, hey, go give me my favorite game and bring it back to me and hunt and kill and I'm gonna give you my blessing. His wife, Rebecca, overheard this. How messed up is this? And goes and tells Jacob, hey, your father's about to give Esau uh, your blessing. I'm gonna cook something. We're, and since he's you know, losing his eyesight, we're gonna go in there. We're gonna put a hairy thing on you so that he thinks you're you. If, and then he's gonna give you the blessing instead. And you thought your family was dysfunctional. <laughs> Stole his family's blessing. Long story short, as you can imagine, Isaac about loses his mind. Esau trembles violently with anger and makes an inner vow that when my father dies, after I'm done mourning, I will kill my brother. I'm gonna kill him. So Jacob flees, moves to another like land country, ends up meeting Laban, this guy who had a daughter he fell in love with named Rachel, and he says, hey, I wanna marry your daughter. Laban says, okay, work for me for seven years, then you can marry my daughter. That's, you know, he must have really been in love with Rachel. And then the wedding night came, to be honest, I think Jacob got blisteringly drunk. He, woke, he wakes up, he realizes, oh, I'm beside Leah, what the Bible describes winsomely as the unattractive sister, not Rachel, and realizes that he, as the deceiver, just got deceived. Because he began to reap what he was sowing. And then he tells Laban, okay, give me the one that I want. And he says, okay, you gotta work for me another seven years. Long story short, he ends up marrying both women and has this big discord with Laban and eventually flees the country which leads up to where I want to go. So Jacob, can we all agree, has had a dysfunctional, painful life, right? But what's crazy is in the middle of this, he starts having these moments with God. In fact, you may not have known this, but the song we did here again about surely the Lord is in this place, that actually comes out of a story about Jacob where God appeared to him in a dream and reminded Jacob that even when Jacob doesn't feel God's presence, he's right there with him. And so Jacob is finally decides, I've got to leave this land too. And this is kind of messed up, but I guess he felt like he had to. He steals Laban's daughters out from under him in the middle of the night to where Laban doesn't even get to tell his daughters goodbye. And he heads back home in part to flee the dysfunction, but also in part because he wants to help bless his family. But now I want you to picture this. Can you imagine this? He's going back to his family, to the father that, let's just be honest, never loved him, favored Esau. He's going back to his mom that, let's be honest, he had probably a codependent dysfunctional relationship with. And to his brother that not just hates him, and not, not that just he just betrayed his brother, but his brother has vowed, if I see you again, I'm gonna kill you. And so I just want you to capture the gravitas of this moment. I'm honestly surprised they've not done a movie about this. This is my favorite. If I was going to write a book about a story in Scripture, it would be this. And Jacob is heading back home, knowing he's probably going to be killed. And I want you to think about what you'd be feeling in this moment. So Jacob, he sends gifts ahead of him to try to soften Esau's heart. 
He sends his wives ahead of him, his servants ahead of him, his friends ahead of him, and he stays the night, and then the next day he goes to meet Esau. And I want you to picture this. Just imagine like Braveheart music is starting to play. Can you do that? Genesis 33, one through four. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divide. can you imagine, so this is it. Esau's coming, and he's got 400 guys with him. And I'm sure this is the moment Jacob's like, I'm gonna die. So he, Jacob, divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But watch this. You, you, you can judge me all you want to. But I can count multiple times I have wept over this passage because I think it signifies so much. This is Jacob facing what he's feared the most. This is Jacob finally facing his demons. This is Jacob finally facing his past so that he can heal and deal with his stuff and move on to the future. And look what happens when he finally catches up with Esau. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept. Now, isn't that beautiful? That was a good place to kind of clap. I'm just gonna be honest. You, you missed a good place to celebrate. I love this. I know not every story in life ends up like this, but I love the bow that God seemed to tie around this. I love it for so much. Again, I love that Jacob is facing his issues. I, I, I love that somehow, somewhere along the way, Esau had, had a change of heart. I love it. Uh, one thing, I'll just tell you really quick, that's personally inspiring and helpful to me is it tells me that what Jacob was concerned about most, God had already been working on. Maybe somebody needs to hear that. The thing that Jacob, I, you can't ever predict how things are specifically gonna go in life, but that reminded me, the thing that I may be most feared about, God's already in the future. He's already aware of, he's already actively involved, he's already aware and at work. And I just wanna tell you, the thing that you're most concerned about, God already knows how he's gonna work that out. And I love that. But can I just be honest with you? Something still bothers me about this moment. Something still doesn't sit right. And I think with all due respect to the scripture, I think what bothers me is it, to me it still doesn't make sense. When I think about this Jacob that we've been reading about, selfish, self-absorbed, indulgent, the fact that he would face the future so head on with such courage and humility, can I just be honest, it seems really off brand. Can I say it that way? Like Jacob, your whole life you've been scheming. Your whole life you've been tricking people. Your whole life you have been self-indulgent. And now you're gonna meet Esau and with integrity and humility and courage. What happened? And I think the missing secret that explains this moment is the moment that happened the night before. And I'm gonna read you one more passage. This is Genesis 32, 23 through 26, and it says this. After he, talking about Jacob, had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man, you should probably put man in quotes in, in, in your Bible, wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched 
as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, here's the line, if you don't hear anything else, I I, I just have been praying that this line would get in somebody's spirit today. I love this. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, we find out later that Jacob actually wasn't wrestling with a man, he was wrestling with God. And how does that work? How does a human being wrestle with God? I have no idea, but here's what I do know. For Jacob, he was changed in the wrestling. And I want you to know that you and I, we will be changed in the wrestling. The reason that Jacob was able to face the future was because the night before he had had an encounter with God where he wrestled with God and he came out different. In fact, if you read later, we may may even have the verse, you know what happens in this moment? God literally changes Jacob's name. He changes Jacob's name and says, you're no longer gonna be called Jacob, you're gonna be called Israel. Are, Are you catching this? He says, Jacob, this limiting label This label that you've been living under your whole life, this label that you have been living under dysfunction, this uh, identity of you're only known as a drunk or you're only known as an angry person, you're only known as a lazy person, you're only known as stupid. Jacob, those identities in now. And now that you've met me, I'm gonna give you a new identity and you're no longer gonna be defined by your worst moment. You're no longer gonna be defined by what someone said about you when you were young. You're no longer gonna be defined by the dysfunction of your mother or your father or who didn't love you or who abandoned you or what you even say about you. Jacob, I am telling you, you are no longer Jacob. You are Israel. And now that you know who you are in my eyes, you can face the future from that place. And somebody in the room needs to know the greatest thing that could happen today is for you to have a funeral for an old identity. And the way 2023 can be different is if you realize I no longer have to be Jacob, but it happened in the wrestling. Tommy, can I borrow you real quick? All right, (laughs) Tommy does not wanna do this, but I, I asked him to do this. You may not realize that I used to play sports. I, don't, I really, really don't appreciate the laughter. But I, I played baseball for 15 years. I did. And I was pretty freaking good at it. I just got to be honest with you. I played basketball. I was mediocre. Um, took Mars Arts for 12 years. I was a linebacker in football for 10. Okay, that part's not true. But here's the thing about most sports. Um, football. I don't know if you saw that. It was a spiral. Okay, we go back. See, here's the thing about most sports is even though you get close eventually in football, in almost every sport besides wrestling, you can do it from a distance. But see, here's the thing about wrestling. Come on, close. <laughs> Nervous. You can't wrestle unless you're close. And this may sound cheesy, but I just felt like God wanted to encourage somebody today that maybe the very fact that you're wrestling should be an encouragement that you're on the right track. Could it be you wouldn't be wrestling with your doubts if you didn't care about faith? You wouldn't be wrestling with addiction if you didn't care about freedom. And could it be that the very fact that you're wrestling with God could mean that you're closer to God than you actually imagined? 
Could it mean the very fact that you're wrestling with the thing that's been beating you day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year? Could it mean that means that you're closer to the other side of that thing than you even possibly could think? Thank you. <laughs> Give it up for Tommy. But you're changed in the wrestling. Can I tell you this is true for every area of life? Did you know in friendships, it's in the wrestling that your muscles grow? I bet you for every person in this room that has a great friendship, it's because you've been through seasons of high and low. You've been through seasons where you've had to wrestle through conflict, but you've had to learn not to ghost people or be passive aggressive or give them the silent treatment, but you've had to learn how to actually communicate, how to actually forgive, how to actually work through offense. And when you've wrestled through those ups and downs, your friendship grew muscles. I have a feeling, I'm not married, but I, I could go out on a limb and say for every married couple in here that's been married for a long time and has a healthy marriage, you would probably say the reason your marriage is strong is you've been through some wrestling. You've been through seasons of ups and downs. You've been through seasons where you've had to learn to sacrifice your needs to serve the other person. You've had to learn the hard work of communicating. You've had to learn the hard work of listening and understanding each other and forgiving each other and putting the other person first and deciding, I'm in this hell or high water, thick or thin, sickness or death. And through the wrestling, your muscles grow. Can I tell you it's like that in a church community? The people that are enjoying the fruit of this place the most, I can just tell you, there are people who've been here through the tough seasons and the good seasons. There are people that come on Sundays when they feel like it and when they don't feel like it. There are people who do the work of, I was offended, but I'm gonna keep coming back. Oh, that person didn't seem to say hey to me, I'm gonna keep coming back. Oh, this isn't, oh, I'm gonna keep coming back. I'm gonna wrestle through community and plant myself and watch fruit grow out of my life. Can I tell you, it works that way with this book. I know so many people that say, I, I tried to read the Bible, but it just doesn't change me. And can I just say with all, I don't know, gentleness, could it be possible that you've given it passing high fives instead of ever wrestling with it? I think it's great when someone posts an Instagram, ooh, I like that verse, that was, that was helpful. Screenshot, that's great, I needed that. You version, verse of the day, ooh, that was great. Oh, I love what Pastor Tim said, that's great. I'm not knocking that, that's a great place to start. But can I tell you for me, where transformation has taken place, it's been in the seasons, it's not every day, it's not even every week, but it's been in the seasons where I, as one theologian said it, I don't just rake for leaves, but I dig for gold. I can tell you the transformation in my life has come. I don't know what it looks like for everybody, but for me, when I bring out a pen and a highlighter and I get into this and I read it and then I reread it and then I reread it and then maybe sometimes I memorize it and then I think about it through the day, there are seasons where I weep over it and then I integrate it into my prayers and my groans and my cries that God, this thing has to get from my head to my heart and it's in the wrestling that the muscles are developed and that my soul is changed. I think it's like this in spiritual warfare. We, we won't get completely into this. People put pastors on such a pedestal. So can I be like dangerously vulnerable for a moment? That's not a lot of, that's not a lot of support for this therapy moment. <laughs> 2022 may have been 
the most difficult internal year for me that I've had in a decade. I have a great life, nothing to complain about. I'm so blessed, oh, I'm so blessed. And, and as I've come to the end of the year, I've processed a few things that maybe, man, why was that? There's a few things I'm processing, man, man I, I could shift this in the new year, I could do this, but. but you know one thing, this may sound really spiritual, I don't usually get super spiritual, but can I tell you one thing as I processed the last few days of December I thought about? I was like, is it irony or the enemy? that in 2021 I spent every ounce of my energy finishing writing, editing, and releasing a book about hope. And then preaching three weeks here, trying to pour out my heart and hope, traveling to pour hope into people. That's 2022. And then in 2023, if I'm just being honest, internally I'm like, man, I'm supposed to be the hope guy. Where's my hope meter? Is that okay? And I can beat myself up call myself a hypocrite, or I can realize, is it possible I have an enemy, and like Paul told his church, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against spiritual wickedness in dark places, that we have an enemy, and so many times we give up, or we blame people, or we make people the enemy, when the truth is, I have an enemy of my soul, but thank God I've been given authority over that enemy, and he will not prevail over us, in the name of Jesus. See, you know, man, I read and I read and I reread this passage and I just kept seeing things that excited me. One thing I've never seen before, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but you know, at the very beginning, just as a reminder, at the very beginning of their life, they're wrestling in their mother's womb, remember? Jacob and Esau are wrestling in their mother's wombs and the thought hit me, because on paper, you realize Esau is like a way worse person, right? Like way less messed up than Jacob. So why, besides the whole bowl of soup thing, was Esau forfeiting his future, but Jacob making it? Could it be one of the only main reasons is they wrestled in their mother's womb, but Jacob never quit wrestling? Could that be it? That eventually Esau resigned himself to this is the way life's always gonna be. It's the way I'm always gonna be. My mom was like this. My dad was like this. I've always thought like this. I've always felt like this. This is the way I'm always gonna be. Resigned himself to apathy, to bitterness, to status quo. But Jacob, as jacked up and messed up as he was, said, I'm gonna keep getting up. I'm gonna keep wrestling. I'm gonna keep fighting for the life that I know God has for me. It reminds me of my favorite proverb, Proverbs 24, 16. I love this definition of a righteous person. I love this. It says, for a righteous person falls seven times and rises again. I am a great candidate for a righteous person. How about you? I love that it doesn't say a righteous person is a person that doesn't fall. I love that it says the only difference between the righteous and the unrighteous is by the grace of God, I'm gonna get back up again, and then I'm gonna get back up again, and then I'm gonna get back up again, and somebody needs to hear this. Don't you dare quit. Don't you dare give up. Don't you dare back down. There's more in you. God has more destiny and more purpose over every person in this room than you ever imagined. And so I don't care if you're on the small, shallow end of apathy and discouragement or on the extreme end of suicidal ideation. Don't you dare give up. By the grace of God, get back up.
up one more time. And you know, you know, another way that we can wrestle, if you're thinking, man, I don't even know if I have that much dysfunction in my life. I'm actually a pretty good person. It may be an issue. But can I tell you one way to wrestle? Pastor Zach mentioned it. It's one of our few only traditions. It's the power of prayer and fasting. One of the ways to go after God is to say, you know what? I'm gonna go after God. I'm gonna go after him for a season, for a few days, a few weeks. I'm gonna set aside comforts, conveniences, distractions, and I am going to, with whole heart intention, go after God. I'm gonna get the kind of Jacob desperation. I will not go unless you bless me. And by the way, I am not under the impression that we should spend our whole life as like a life of wrestling. Doesn't that sound exhausting? <laughs> Just to wrestle your whole life. In fact, can I tell you, I think we underestimate sometimes the power of simply faithfully walking with Jesus day in and day out. Reading scripture in the morning when you feel it, when you don't feel it. Going to church, when you, obeying God when you feel it, when you don't feel it. There is, we underestimate, we don't really celebrate just simple faithfulness anymore. But can I tell you, it's transformative and it matures you. But can I tell you what I wrote down that I thought when I think about the people I admire in scripture and when I look back on my own life, can I tell you what I've observed? Faithfully walking with God matures you, but wrestling with God marks you. Not every season should feel like a wrestling match, but there are seasons, if you're a follower of Jesus, where we turn up the intensity and say, I'm gonna go after God with all of my heart and it will mark you. I am telling you, I could stand here for hours. I know you don't want me to, but I could and tell you the moments of wrestling and encounter and how it has marked me and redirected my life. It is in the presence of God that I've seen miracles, that I've seen healings, that I've seen the unexplainable, that I've seen the addicted set free and the sick and crippled healed. It's in the presence of God. By the way, that's why it's important. One of the reasons it's important to come every Sunday to get in the presence of God because you never know what one moment in the presence of God can do. One moment in the presence of God on a Sunday or a Tuesday night or a Wednesday morning can change everything for you. But wrestling with God, where walking with God matures you, wrestling with God marks you because if you read the rest of the story later, you know what it says happened? When Jacob wrestled, it literally says, the Bible says, one of his hip bones was wrenched out of socket. And he walked different the rest of, your, of his life because you cannot have a genuine encounter with God and not walk different and not think different and not live different. One last observation, I'll shut up. Is that okay? This is what I think the main dividing line was between Jacob and Esau. And can I just say this? I think it's the main dividing line between those of us that come to church every Sunday. Because it's weird, Jacob, that line, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You know what's weird about that? God had already promised him four separate times he would bless him. He promised him twice through his father, prophetic blessing, and then twice God showed up to Jacob in a dream or a vision and said, I promise I'll bless you, I promise. Jacob, I promise, I'm gonna bless you, I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna... So why did Jacob get to this point? I want you to catch this. Jacob got to the place that separates people. It's the place I need to get to more often. It's the place I, I, I'm trying to provoke you to get to. Jacob finally got to the place eventually where he said, God, 
I have heard long enough about your ability to bless me. I've heard long enough about your power. I'm grateful for it. I've read a thousand verses. I've heard a thousand messages, but I am no longer content to just hear about it. I have to experience it. God, I have heard about your power. I gotta taste it myself. I've heard about your presences. I've got to soak in your presence myself. I've heard about your promises. I've got to engage with them myself. And I just got to tell you, I'm beating a broken drum, but it's not this phrase, but you know what I mean. It's in the presence of God. It's in wrestling that we're changed forever. You can stand to your feet. I've been praying for a few groups of people today. Number one, I've been praying for people that are in this room that have been struggling for so long. And I don't know whether it's going to happen today. I do believe it can happen in a moment. But I don't know if it will happen today, tomorrow, next week. But I am praying. I've been praying over you that God supernaturally would grant you breakthrough in an area. And I do believe with all my heart that's going to happen to many of you today. And then I've been praying that through this message, not through me, me, in spite of me, through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, that some of us in the room, we need to start wrestling. It's been too long, we've been comfortable, too long we've settled for dysfunction, settled for captivity, settled for bondage. And it's time, like Paul said, to forget what's behind and press forward to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And then third, I've been praying over people in this room that you need a name change. You need a new identity. And it it may be even deeper than just your soul identity. It might be your spirit identity that you don't even know Jesus. And here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus had the ultimate wrestling match in the Garden of Gethsemane where he wrestled through his own flesh to go to the cross and pay the price that no one else could pay for us, die the death no one else could die for us, and raise again to life so that we could live fully alive. So every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you. If any of those you know are you, can I just encourage you boldly to stretch both hands to the sky? That's me. Man, I need breakthrough in an area. Man, I, I, I need to let this be a catalyst for action in my life to begin to wrestle. I see so many hands. I've got to be honest. I think it's probably most of us in the room. I want to pray for you hands raised high to the sky. Father, I pray for every person that's bold enough to raise their hand and every person that knows it's them but for whatever reason doesn't feel that release right now to take that physical step. God, I pray right now, Lord, your word promises that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And God, your spirit is here. Your presence is here. Your power is here. And I pray freedom over every tortured soul, those that have been wrestling long enough. Would you grant breakthrough today by the power of your anointing? God, would I, I just speak freedom to every harassed soul. Freedom to every bound spirit. I I speak freedom to the harassed mind, harassed by anxiety and depression and worry. Freedom in the name of Jesus over every life. God, I pray for a Holy Spirit urgency 
and motivation for those of us that need to engage in the fight, that need to wrestle and not give up. Lord, would you touch them today? And then would anybody be so bold to say, hey, that's me, I actually today wanna give my life to Jesus. Would you raise your hand high if that's you? I wanna give my life to Jesus, I see you. Anybody else, two, three, four, anybody else? I see several hands. Hey, this could be the greatest day of your life. And I want us to pray this together. I want you to hear me, keep your hand raised high if that's you. Look, a prayer doesn't save you, but a turning of the heart does. And I want you to pray something similar after me. Dear Jesus, I come to you as I am with all of my sin and all of my brokenness. And I believe you, Jesus, that you are who you say you are, that you died for me and that you rose again from the grave. Jesus, I give you my life. Just tell him, say, Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me and come in to live inside of me by your spirit. And I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, and amen and amen. And come on, can we celebrate that? You can do better than that. Can we celebrate every single person? Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I wanna say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.